know about y'all, but uh, I uh, look forward to 2021, and I look with fondness over 2019. I, I never thought I'd say that. I rarely look back and say, what a great year. Uh, but 2020 has been goofy, and it's been challenging in so many ways. I'm thankful for it, uh, and, but we've experienced a lot of losses in 2020, uh, loss of community, uh, loss of uh, just family, loss of health, and even for some, loss of loved ones. It's been a tough year. Um, nostalgia is one of those things that can be a double-edged sword. You look fondly in days past, uh, but it can also rob you of hope for today and tomorrow. But when you're a, a father of four daughters and you have a brand new granddaughter, her name is Nora, I don't know if I've talked about her, uh, but uh, she was born in April. Uh, it leads to a sense of nostalgia. Uh, Edie and I were talking this past week about the changes in our life, and many of you have walked through these changes, and it's not really new to you, but it's new for us. And, and we have experienced uh, in 2020 uh, the, uh, the birth of a grandbaby, the graduating of our third daughter from college and the marriage of our first daughter uh, during these last few months. It's been a, a lot of changes in unusual settings. And, and it leads us to think about the way things were. And again, not in a, I, I wish we were back there, but more as a, what, what a wonderful time it was. And maybe we didn't realize how wonderful it was. Um, I've been a little bit more nostalgic than I normally uh, am, and I think it's a permanent thing because I am a granddaddy. I have a brand new, brand new grandbaby, and her name is Nora. I don't know if I've talked about her. Um, but even being a dad to four daughters didn't soften my heart as much as being a granddaddy, a poppy, uh, to Nora. Um, but as I think about our family and as my wife and I have walked through life together and as she has been so um, gracious to me and patient with me and loving toward me and merciful to me, um, as she has been such a faithful mother and wife, uh, mother to our children and wife to me, as we think about uh, our children and how they're at a different stage in life, um, how that they are grown up and how that, that changes things. I was thinking back about when our girls were young and there's one daughter that I have, one of my daughters. Uh, I was thinking about her and, and as she was learning to walk and run and play and laugh and talk. And in my mind's eye, I can see clearly her running around the yard or running around the house and just having a grand time and an awesome time. But uh, even though the world was her domain in that setting, uh, she came to a set of stairs and she stopped. And this was a regular thing for her. Anytime she would come to a set of stairs, she would stop. And she would look at those stairs and she would look down the stairs and she would think, what a grand world it is down there, but I can't get there. She looked at the steps as an obstacle to greater joy or uh, greater fun. 
And so she would stop at the edge and she would look down and, and she wouldn't move. And for some, that may, be, may have been the end of the story, but for my daughter... She did what she knew to do in the uncertainty of stairs, in the insecurity of stairs. She did what she knew to do, and she called out, Daddy, come here. Yes. That's Lucy. She called out, Daddy, come here. And, and of course, I heard her cry and I knew it wasn't a cry of pain but a cry for a cry of need and and so I, I I was more casual in my running but I ran to where she was and I found her staring at the stairs and she looked up at me she stretched out her hand and she said daddy help and so I stretched out my hand and I took her small tender little hand in mine and we began to walk down the stairs together. I don't know if you realize this, but there are people in your family, there are people with whom you work, there are people at your school, people in your neighborhood, and there are people around the world who are stuck at a step uh, at, at, at a set of stairs, looking down the steps, longing for something that they really are missing. Oh, the, the world is their domain in a lot of ways. They can run and they can play and they can laugh. But as they come to the set of stairs, they see that there's more to life than what they're experiencing. They can't quite put their finger on it. They can't quite fix what's wrong but they know that they need help to get to where they need to be. And they look around and they cry for help, but they don't have a father to take them by the hand to lead them to the place they need to be. And the mission of the church the mission of this church is to introduce our neighbors and our family members, our classmates, our co-workers, to introduce them to our Father who so willingly stretches out his hand and takes them by the hand and leads them to the place where they will be satisfied, completely fulfilled beyond measure, where they will have security, where they will have hope, and where they will live in joy. And that is our mission. Because we once were that person, that boy, that girl, that man, that woman, standing at the edge of the stairs, separated from hope, separated from life, separated from joy, separated from peace, because we were separated from God. And someone took the time to 
fulfill the mission that God has given the church and introduce us to God himself, the Heavenly Father. To lead us to see that our sin, though it separates us from God and separates us from life as God created it to be, our sin can be forgiven because God in love sent Jesus to die in our place for our sin upon a cross. Because God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to give us forgiveness and life. And when we place our faith in Jesus, when we trust, trusted in him, we were introduced to our Heavenly Father so that now every day we face a set of stairs that we think are obstacles. We look to our Heavenly Father and we say, Daddy, come here. I need your help. And God, who is our Father, stretches out his hand and leads us as part of his family, as sons and daughters, into joy. Have you experienced that joy in that life that only Jesus can provide? Are you today a person who once was a stranger from the covenant that God had established. You once were a stranger to God. You were living without hope because you were living without God in this world, but you met Jesus and he rescued you and he brought you into God's family. You're no longer a stranger from the covenant of God. You're no longer a stranger to God, but now you're a son and you're a daughter of God and everything has changed. And the emptiness that once defined your life dissipates in the satisfaction of being part of God's family. If that's who you are, then understand that the mission that God has given you and given us as his people called First Norfolk is to take what we've experienced through faith in Christ, and share it with another. We've been walking through a series of messages looking at the new normal, and we call this a new normal. I mean, it's new normal. It's not bubonic plague new normal. Uh, it's not World War II new normal. It, it's it's not the Hundred Years' War new normal. It's not uh, the war between the states new normal. It is... Uh, still our new normal, isn't it? And separated by distance and masks. And we look at our world and we say, this is strange and unusual. First Norfolk, we have a new normal, but it's, it's a new normal that comes with the same mission we've always had. In Matthew chapter 28, we looked at the mission that Jesus has given us. And as a church, we describe our mission in this way. First, Norfolk exists to glorify God by winning and leading all the people within our reach to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 28. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe everything that I've taught you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The mission of this church and every church is to make disciples of Jesus. That is our mission. Last week, we saw that that mission ramps up and is fulfilled when we understand how that Jesus sends us. In John chapter 20, uh, we saw that Jesus approaches his disciples, the resurrected Jesus approaches his disciples in an upper room, and he gathers with them, and he looks to them as he looks to us, and he says, peace to you as the Father sent me. I send you. You see, we make disciples as we go, being sent by Jesus to people all around us in the seven cities of Hampton Roads and even around the world. We are called as God's people to be on mission, to be sent to them as Jesus was sent to us. We've been sent on mission. And the question is, will we go? And as we go on mission, Jesus tells us that we are to be witnesses for him. And that he gives us all the power we need to be a witness, to be sent, and to make disciples. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus approaches his disciples. Again, one of the last words of Jesus before he ascends to the right hand of the throne of God and Jesus appears to his disciples. He gives them instructions. They ask about the end of time. He said, well, when are you going to establish your kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not, it's not your place to know the, the, the times of the days, the seasons. It's, it's what God determines, not you or me. It's, it's the, the Godhead determines it. And so uh, Jesus then looks at them, and he looks at us, and he says, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Jesus gives us all the power we need to fulfill our mission through the Holy Spirit. Now, the mission that he uh, describes is a mission that can only be accomplished in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I have run out of gas in my car more than times than is uh, right for any uh, person to run out of gas in their car. But I have done it several, several times. Uh, I remember one time I ran out of gas in my car and I was on the highway going back to my home. Uh, and I thought that there was something wrong with the engine. So I called Gene Breheim and I told him, I said, you need to come pick up my car. The engine's whacked. Uh, and he said, okay. And, and they sent the tow truck and they picked up the car and he took it back to his shop. And uh, a few hours later, maybe the next day, he called me and said, Eric, we've looked at the engine. The engine is fine. I said, well, what's wrong with the car? He said, he needs gas in the gas tank. <laughs> True story. To, dry, to, to try to drive a car without gas in the tank is a frustrating and futile effort. Many of you have gotten up in the morning or uh, gone down to your car after work. You get in the car, you put the key in the ignition, and you start the car, and you hear that ever-familiar clack, 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 clack of a dead battery. 
And that car is not going to start and not going to go anywhere because the battery is dead. It is a frustrating and futile effort to try to run a car on a dead battery. In the American church especially, but in the church, one of the greatest fr frustrations and one of the most futile efforts that we have as a church is trying to accomplish what we were made to accomplish without the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the first step in making disciples is witnessing. The, the very first step that we are to take in making disciples, Matthew 28, is to be a witness to our neighbors, our friends, our family, to people in Canada, uh, Edmonton, or Montreal, to be a witness to people in Malawi or uh, East Asia or Southeast Asia, and all the places where our church goes on mission. Uh, God is calling us to be a witness, but, but to be a witness... We need help. Isn't it a frightening thing to tell somebody, talk to somebody about Jesus? I mean, let's just, let's just be honest. I, I get a little uh, dry in the mouth whenever I know that here's an opportunity for me to talk about Jesus. But that's exactly what Jesus says we're supposed to do. He says, you are to be witnesses, you will be witnesses for me. You know what a witness is? A witness is someone who gives testimony to another what Jesus has done in their life. That is a witness. It's uh, the Greek term martus, and, and from that Greek term we get the word martyr. Um, but but it, it's a description of, of me, a person who's been rescued by God's love, sharing with you, a person who's standing at the edge of the steps, knowing there's something wrong, not knowing how to fix it, and me saying, can I introduce you to the person who changed my life? And friends, this is not the task of the specialized and what I mean by that is not just the preacher task or those who are especially outgoing or those who are uh, 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 peculiarly uh, intent on going on a boardwalk and talking to people about Jesus. It's their job, but it's your job. If you have been rescued by God's grace, if you have tasted the wondrous love of God that has, renew, has given you a new life and a new heart and a new creation in Christ Jesus, then it is your task to be witness to the one who has changed your life. It's your job and mine. And it, it's not something you can give by proxy to someone else. It's something that God plants in your heart, plants in your hand, gives you and me the duty to fulfill. You will be witnesses for me, Jesus said. You say, well, I, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't know how to be a witness it's as easy as me going up to Bill across the cul-de-sac. And Bill's getting his garbage can. I go over to Bill. I say, hey, Bill, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, Eric. How you doing? Well, I'm doing great. And Bill, I, 
I, I wanted to talk to you just for a second. I, you have some time? Yeah, I've got some time. You, you want to talk about Tennessee football? No, I definitely don't want to talk about Tennessee football, but, but, but let's talk a little bit. But, you know, uh, I, I, wanted, I, I just felt like it was important for me to tell you a little bit more about me. And he said, well, okay. You know, and he's feeling a little weird because I'm telling him something about me. You know, we don't do that much, right? So I, I want to tell you a little bit more about me. Okay. And, and I tell you, hey, Bill, I just want you to know that for many years of my life, I had a problem that I couldn't shake. I had a problem, and it was destroying my life. And if I didn't fix that problem, I was going to be destroyed. By now, Bill's going, oh, well, I want to hear a little bit more about this problem. I go on and say, well, you know, Bill, I have this problem, and it affected my relationships. It affected the way I viewed myself. It affected uh, everything that I had in my life. And I realized it was because I lacked the right purpose for living. And he said, well, what do you mean about purpose? Well, Bill, here's what I mean about purpose. It's, it's, it's more than a job. You know, I, you work, I work, we, we both work, and job is good. We, I like what I do. I enjoy it, but, but it couldn't fix the itch inside of me. It, it, it couldn't satisfy what was um, needing to be satisfied in me, and, and so the job didn't do it, and, and I had great relationships and, and have great relationships, but as good as those relationships were, um, it, it just wouldn't satisfy me. And, and, you know, Bill, I love to go fishing. And it's one of my favorite hobbies. And I go fishing any chance I can. If there's a puddle after a rainy day, I'm going to break out my fly rod and I'm going to go fishing. You know, I, I love to fish. I said, but, but Bill, as, as fun as fishing is, it, it can't scratch the itch that's inside of me. It was, it was a problem. And, and it was affecting every part of me. Bill, have you ever experienced that? Well, yeah, I guess, maybe. You know what I realized, Bill? What was missing was I was trying to find satisfaction in all these other things, and, and really what I needed was a friendship with God. Now Bill's ears are perked up, and he's like, ding, 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 ding. Can I get out of this? Can I get out of this? He's talking about God. And when they do that, you just press on. See, I realized that I needed a friendship with God, and my problem was that I was separated from Him. Do you know God longs for us to be part of His family, but our sin keeps us from being part of His family. And Bill, you've sinned, I've sinned, we've all sinned, so how do, how do we fix that? Well, we try to do enough good stuff, or we try to go to church, and I'm all about people going to church. You know that, Bill. I've invited you several times. But, but going to church and, 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 and trying to do good stuff, it just doesn't fix the sin stuff that's created. It, it doesn't build a bridge between us and God. It doesn't make us part of God's family. So here I am, I'm trying to do good, and I'm trying to be better at being better, and, 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 and I'm still empty, and, and I'm, I'm chasing all these different purposes, and, and I'm still empty. And, and, and then I realize that if I'm going to find satisfaction, it's going to be through faith, uh, through a friendship with God. But I can't fix what my sin's already done. You, neither can you. And that's when I realized that 
God sent a person to fix what's broken in me. And that person is Jesus. That Jesus came. He, 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 he's fully God, yet he became a man and he lived his life without blemish or fault, without any sin at all, so that he could take my place on a cross of punishment. So that he could die for my sin. So that he could be raised from the dead. So that through his death and resurrection, I can be forgiven and I can have a new life. I mean, what Jesus did is he built a bridge over which I can cross and become part of God's family. The Bible tells us that is, when, when I look to Jesus as my only hope for rescue and I, I trust him with all that I am and I turn away from my sin, then God in his grace brings me into his family. Have you ever had that conversation with somebody? That's what a witness does. You know, so I don't know how to say all that. Well, just say, you know, Bill, I had a problem. Jesus fixed it. He can fix your problem too. Just begin there. I can tell you what is not acceptable in the sight of God. Saying nothing. You might say, well, you know, Eric, you know how hard it is to talk to people, uh, especially during COVID. How am I supposed to talk to people at work or at school or across the culture? How am I supposed to talk to them about Jesus? We, we don't live in that type of day and time. I mean, didn't, you, didn't your mother teach you you're never supposed to talk about religion and politics? Oh, wait a second. For those of us who say we can't talk about Jesus to our friends, how many times have you talked about Biden or Trump to your friends. Happy to have a conversation with them about the election. And yet we have a hard time talking about the very one, the only one, the supreme one, the only one who has given us life, the only one who can rescue, the only hope of the world, the only hope of that person standing at the edge of the stairs, the only hope that they have is Jesus. And we want to talk about lesser things like Biden or Trump. The first step in making disciples is to be a witness. On top of that, the mission is going across the street and around the world. So it's not only you will be witnesses for me, it's you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what that means? It means both geography. It means you start, they were in Jerusalem when Jesus is saying that. He said, you start in Jerusalem. Judea was like the state uh, of, of, uh, in which Jerusalem was. Samaria was another state, a border, borderline state. It's like the difference between uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. Not a lot of friends there between the two, but, but it, it's, it's like a border state like that. And so you, you have uh, Jerusalem, go to Samaria, uh, go to Judea, go to Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. It's, it's to move geographically uh, to the uttermost parts of the world and to go to people who aren't like us and don't believe like us and even may be hostile toward us. Do you realize 
that when the first church exploded in the book of Acts, they had no friends in government. They had no religious um, groups that were their uh, companions. When Paul or Silas or Barnabas or Peter, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, when they went to a new city, they went to hostile territory every single time. And yet they went proclaiming the good news, the story of the gospel. They didn't hedge their bets and try to make it soft. They were still clear that, yes, every person has sinned. That sin separates them from God, and there's only one cure for that problem. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And we want you to know how to be part of God's family. It's through faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of your sin. And regardless of whether those people worshipped Athena or whether they worshipped a pantheon of gods or whether they worshipped religious expressions and rituals, regardless of who the people were, they would go and they would share the good news of God's rescuing love. They would not let any... um, Cultural or geographic barriers stop them from fulfilling the mission of making disciples, of being a witness. And it literally changed the world. And it started with fewer people than we have in this room right now. And it literally turned the world upside down. And it started with fewer people than we will have had meeting in our small group, life groups today. And we act like it's so hard for us to talk to somebody who hates God. Why can't we just let them go to hell? Because our mission is the same as Christ's mission to us. It's a rescue mission. It is to cross the cultural and geographic barriers with the good news. Hey, listen, I know you don't believe this. I know you might not even like this, but can I share with you the only thing that will give you hope in today's hopeless world? Yes, we're living in a new normal, but the mission remains the same. And that's why Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us all the power we need to fulfill the mission. That's how Jesus begins the promise in verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you know what's wrong with the church today? We believe that what will lead to growth or advance of the gospel, what will uh, help our church flourish, uh, settles on um, a, a, a type of song that we sing or a type of program that we run. I've had said to me more than one occasion, uh, if you would just preach like Charles Stanley, everything would be fine in the church. I have to tell you, the problem with the church today is not the program or the song or even the preacher preaching different than Charles Stanley. The problem with this church today is that we fail to depend 
upon the Holy Spirit of God. You see, the answer for the church today isn't found in D.C., and it's not found in a new program. It's not found in a new idea or a new strategy. The, the hope for the church today is the same as the hope has always been, and that is living according to the supernatural power that God has made available in the person of the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity. It is living in the power of the Holy Spirit and going forth and being a witness. Can I tell you what the Holy Spirit does? Uh, you know why we don't witness? We don't witness because we're afraid that it all depends upon us. But what Jesus says is you're going to get the power you need to be the witness I'm calling you to be through the Holy Spirit. It's not through your ingenuity. It's not through your creativity. It's not through your uh, uh, book smarts. It is through your dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God. This church advances as this church, you and I, depend upon the Holy Spirit and go as a witness across the street and around the world telling the story of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit goes with us step by step. In fact, I want you to understand, and, as, and we're going we're gonna to travel through Scripture a little bit, so get your Bibles open and be ready. Uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. I want you to look at verses 6 through 10. Here's what the Holy Spirit does for us. We have the power we need to be the witness that Jesus has called us to be because the Holy Spirit directs our steps in witness. The Holy Spirit directs our steps. In Acts chapter 16, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's trying to share the gospel around the world, and he wants to be a witness. And, and so uh, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. Now when they, that's Paul's missionary team, had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they had tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. A man standing at the edge of the stairs hand stretched out. Help! I need help! Verse 10, now after Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. When you and I wake up in the morning, we need to pray the prayer, O oh God, by your Spirit, direct my steps to the someone you have prepared for me to be a witness to. Every day we make the commitment, God, will you direct my steps by your Spirit to the person that you want me to share with? God, today I'm ready. I'm Paul. I'm ready. I'm ready to share. But God, I need the Holy Spirit to direct me. And when you go and you uh, go out throughout your day and, and you begin to, to see with new eyes the people that you have seen every single day, you see uh, Bill and Susie, you see uh, Henry and, 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 and Carla, and you see all these people that, that you've seen every single day, but you see them through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And you see God prompting in your heart to share with them. The Holy Spirit directs your steps. 
It's not you just making it up as you go along. It's you living in dependence on the Holy Spirit. You and I have the power we need to be a witness for Jesus as the Spirit of God directs our steps. And also, the Holy Spirit directs our words. Now, go from Acts chapter 16 and flip back to Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is preparing his followers for the day when they will encounter uh, uh, hostile voices in their world. And that's one of our fears, isn't it? Isn't it one of our fears that we're going to face? Uh, we have anxious hearts because of hostile voices. We're afraid people are going to be ugly to us or, or slam the door in our face or tell us to get off my lawn or, or something like that. We're, 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 we're anxious about that. And I understand that. I feel that way too. Not as much as I fear people telling me I need to preach more like Charles Stanley, but I feel it too. So Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for the day where they're going to face hostile voices. In Luke chapter 12, verse 11, he said, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, those are the hostile voices, don't worry about how or what you should answer or even what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit directs your words. You might say, well, how's that possible? It's possible because we're dealing with God, not some program. It's possible because this is the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you, who enlivens your spirit to see the things of God. This is possible because Jesus said it was possible. Preparation ain't bad. But understand... Not knowing what to say should never be an obstacle for you witnessing. At the very least, just tell them how Jesus has changed your life. God has a purpose. He wants us to be part of his family. We have a problem. It's called our sin. God sent a person. His name is Jesus, who died on a cross for our sin, who was raised from the dead so that we might find forgiveness and new life. You've got to repent and believe on Jesus if you want to be part of God's family. That's the gospel. The Holy Spirit directs our words. Turn over to John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. Not only does the Holy Spirit direct our steps, not only does the Holy Spirit direct our words, but also the Holy Spirit speaks, joins His voice in our witness. You might say, well, I don't see how Bill or Susie is ever going to believe what I say. That's okay, because the power is not in what you say. The power is in the Holy Spirit who is adding the weight that is needed to what you say. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit in John 15. In verse 26, he says, when the helper, and that's his name for the Holy Spirit, when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify, he will be a witness, he will bear witness of me, and you also will bear witness of me. There is conjoining of the witness. When we go across the street, 
or around the world and we share with someone from a different culture or a different background or different religious belief, different ideology, even people that hate God, we share with them the gospel. We're depending upon the Holy Spirit of God to melt their heart, to add weight to our words so that they will believe. You know, I say, but Eric, you don't know Bill. When I say he hates God, I mean he hates God. When I say he distrusts the church, he distrusts the church. You don't know Bill. That's okay. It's not my job to convince Bill. Look down in John chapter 16, verse 8. Again, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. When he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin. The world is Bill. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He'll convict the world of sin. That Bill will come to recognize that he has sinned against God and that sin is his problem. Not because of what you say, but because of what the Holy Spirit opens up in Bill's life. He will convict Bill of his sin and then he'll show Bill that the only path to righteousness is through faith in Jesus. Not because of what we say, but because of what the Holy Spirit does to open Bill's eyes and his heart to faith. And he'll also convict Bill of the judgment that awaits all who refuse Jesus. Not because of what you and I say, but because of what the Spirit does in that moment. Look, when we talk about witnessing, we're not talking about just going through a, a, a program that we've developed. We're talking about sharing the life-changing, soul-satisfying good news that will change the life of Bill or Susie and literally is the only hope to change the world. So what, what should we do? And what are you going to do? What are you, you going to do? What am I going to do? You realize that there is no government that can stop the advance of God's church. And there is no economic program that can stop the advance of God's church. And there is no uh, political action group or social action group or threats of jail that could ever stop the advance of God's church. There's only one thing that can stop us from advancing the gospel, and that is you and me. And Bill and Susie are standing at the edge of the stairs longing for security and hope, satisfaction for their soul. They're crying for help. And Jesus is sending us to them to be a witness of Jesus to them. Will you go? What's the commitment you need to make? It's, it's the same commitment that I need to make today. First, follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Every day that you wake up, God, direct my steps to that person by your Holy Spirit. Direct my steps to that person you want me to share with. This is my commitment. I will follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's the commitment. And then walk across the cul-de-sac and witness to Bill. The church, First Norfolk, grows and advances and fulfills
the mission that God has given us. When you and I are his witnesses. So let's go and be his witnesses. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God in heaven, as we have gathered here in your name, as you have convinced us by your spirit the truth of your word, I pray even now that we would bend our heart to what you have revealed, that we would make the commitment this morning to be your witness, and that we would walk across the cul-de-sac or across the hallway or go around the world to share the story of your good news, to share the person who has changed our life. So now in an act of worship, we come to your altar and we commit ourselves to you, celebrating all that you have done for us, recognizing that at your altar we find the comfort of your presence, the strengthening of your hand. At your altar we find the compelling of your spirit for us to rise up and be the church you've called us to be. So as we sing our praise to you in these moments, May our hearts come to the altar before you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.